The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Every time I look at one of those books, it's dealing with judgment and warning. It's like trying to live with a mom and dad who always warns you and always threatens to punish you at every moment of every day. And he goes, and you know what? Even in the New Testament, there's constant warnings in the New Testament, constant judgment, constant reproving, and scriptures dealing with discipline. Everywhere I go in the scriptures, it's just judgment after judgment after judgment. Again, Shane, it's like trying to live with a mom and dad who always has to warn you and threaten to discipline you. Misery, man. I mean misery. That's the reason why I'm having a hard time reading my Bible. You know what I said to him? I said, you know what? I hear you. Pretty much every minor prophet you go to, that's the main topic of the book. The major prophets are always dealing with these types of issues. But get this. This is what I want us to think about today. Why is it that when we're faced with issues like this, the constant judgment, the constant warnings. Do we always think that the issue and the problem always lies with the disciplinarian and never with us? It's like trying to live with a mom and dad who always has to warn you and always has to threaten you. Well, did you even think of the possibility that the reason why mom and dad always had to warn you and always had to threaten you is because you were constantly doing things that warranted a warning and a threat. Is that possible? Could it be possible that the issue is not with the disciplinarian, but the issue is with us? Why do we always assume when it comes to these types of things in Scripture, why do we always assume something is wrong with God and what he's doing before we take a good look at ourselves to see if the problem actually lies with us? We, is that a possibility? I mean, here it is. Maybe God has to constantly warn us and threaten us with punishment and discipline because we are constantly sinning, rebelling, blaspheming, stealing, lying, cheating, scheming, misjudging, misusing, and misunderstanding, or rather misleading. Could it possibly be that the problem is with us? See, what happens is, is we see the judgments, we see the warnings in Scripture, and we react to it. And it's even caused our, our society, our culture, even in modern evangelicalism today, this is what we do. We see Scripture, we, we have to acknowledge the warnings, the judgments, we have to do that. But this is what we do as modern evangelicals today. It was an article, I believe it was in Time Magazine, uh, that was talking about this very issue. And... What we do as preachers in evangelicalism today is we give relief to people by softening the seriousness of sin and soften and even many times eliminate the reality of the coming judgment of the Lord, which the Bible makes very clear will be a terrible swift sword. We don't. Even in the church, we don't want to call sin, sin anymore. I mean, there's, there's, there's churches that even have it in their policy that they won't even use the word sin anymore. Yeah, they, just won't, they, they don't want to say sin. I mean, like I, I, I was telling you, I went to a funeral recently, and I'm at, at the funeral, and it was absolutely amazing. It was like the preacher that was up there was doing everything in his power to keep himself from saying sin. You know, we break a lot of the Ten Commandments and we fall into brokenness. He just, it, was, it, was, it was unbelievable. I just kept saying, you know, the wages of brokenness is death. The wages of mistakes is death. It was, it was, it was amazing. And this is what we do. This is, not, this is becoming even more common more and more today. 
We don't want to call sin, sin anymore. So in order to help us to feel better about judgments that we read in Scripture, about judgments and things that we hear in Scripture, that's coming. All of these types of warnings that we get, the way we make people feel better is to let a sinner know that they don't sin anymore. That's how we're making people feel better anymore. We love to redefine words, don't we today? We love to redefine words. We don't want to call a lie, a lie. We don't want to call a lie, a lie. What we want to say is a lie is actually truthful statements that contradict. We, got, we, got, we don't even want to call stealing, stealing anymore. Instead of saying stealing, we like to say cost of living adjustments. Come on. This is what we do. And you know the other thing, too, that makes it even worse? We have got popular preachers today that are telling people on the radio, even on TV, that there will be no real judgment of God, that God is love, and nobody is going to go to hell. Everybody goes to heaven. I'm sure you've heard this. It's out there in abundance. This is how we deal with it. So judgment and warnings disciplinary warnings that we have in scripture and it's just like Shane man with all of that stuff man I'm starting to lose hope man I'm starting to crumble under the weight of judgment man is there any hope for me do you realize that the Bible actually does give us an answer for this the Bible absolutely does God does not want us walling or wallowing around in our in, in despondentness he's not wanting us to wallow oh you know it's just judgment's coming there's nothing we can do God's not wanting us to do that. But family, the answer is not believing a lie. Calling sin a sin is not a sin is a lie, and it's not true. Saying that there is no judgment, there is no eternal punishment in hell is a lie. That's not true. The Bible makes it very clear that Christ is coming to judge the living and the dead. That's true. Well, but Shane, then if, that's, if all that stuff is a lie, then where do I find hope? We find hope. We find hope by continuing to read. The answer is not the, a lie. The answer is keep reading. We always see that the answer in Scripture is not the lie. The answer is that God has promised to save his people. That's the answer. This is, what I think, this is what boggles my mind. Why is it that we have such an amazing answer? It's called the gospel. We have the gospel. The gospel is the answer to this big, gigantic weight and problem of judgment and, and hell and condemnation, all this stuff. That the gospel is our answer. Why do we prefer the lie? Seriously. It's, it is like we're the thief, Running away from God. When God wants to save us, we're still running away from him. And we feel better about running away from him because all we have to do is believe a lie. Why is that the case? It's really interesting to me. But our hope, again, family, is not in the lie, but it's in the, it's in the promise that God gave us to redeem us and to restore us. God promises to seek and to save us. God promises to restore his people. God promises to purify his people. God promises to free us from shame. God promises to make us holy. And he does this work in us, and he is pursuing us to bring us into the shadow of his wings. What an awesome, amazing thing. But we'd rather believe the lie? God promises. God promises. Christ is pursuing us to save us. We keep running away from the salvation of the Lord for whatever reason. Judgment is coming. But the reality is, is salvation is here. So let's take a look at it. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 9 to 13. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 9 to 13. Now, in Zephaniah, we've already heard some of the most intense, graphic, vivid pictures of judgment, haven't we? I mean, amazing pictures of judgment. Watch this. Chapter 3, verse 9. 
Then I will purify the speech of all people so that everyone can worship the Lord together. My scattered people who live beyond the rivers of Ethiopia will come to present their offering. On that day, you will no longer need to be ashamed, for you will no longer be rebels against me. I will remove all proud and arrogant people from among you. There will be no more haughtiness on my holy mountain. Those who are left will be lowly and humble, for it is they who trust in the name of the Lord. And the remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will never tell lies or deceive one another. They will eat and sleep in safety, and no one will make them afraid. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the promise of salvation and restoration that you continue to give us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we're going to look at today is the promise of restoration at the end of the decree for, uh, for the judgment that's given to us by Zephaniah. So we're going to take a look at the promise of restoration. And then the last thing we're going to look at today is the simple understanding that salvation belongs to God. So our thesis statement today is this. Though sin and the lies of the false teachers that we hear today and the pattern of this world may cause us to run from the pursuit of God with salvation in his hand, it's the power of the Spirit, the truth of the Scriptures that will cause our hearts and minds to be opened by the preaching of the gospel to run into the loving arms of the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So, point number one, the promise of restoration. The promise of restoration. See, this is the thing that we've got to understand. Uh, Puritan, I believe it was Thomas Watson, I think he, he once said, that until sin is bitter, Christ won't taste sweet. Until sin is bitter, until we look at sin and see sin as this horrible, awful thing, we will never see Christ in the fullness of who he is. This is, the ju- this is why the judgment. I mean, people think that God, hear- seeing judgment and hearing about judgment in Scripture, hearing about the warnings, all these things, and, you know, there's always, the Bible's always calling me a sinner and always telling me these things. We think that this is horrible of God to do. That this is a mean thing, and you got to understand, this is the most loving thing that he can do. He can help us to see who and what we really are. And when we actually see that, we will cry out to God, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And you know what? i got good news for you, because there is deliverance. So we have here a transition from the graphic and horrible judgment that we see that's coming from God. And we also see, the the transition comes, where there is a promise of restoration. We must see, but again, before we jump there, I want to make sure we understand. There is no inkling or possibility of avoiding the wrath of judgment to come. The, The judgment's coming. Okay, there was no way to avoid the fires of judgment. Judgment is going to fall. That's exactly what he's saying here. But there will be a forgiven and a purged people who God will restore. The Lord will not even let, this is the thing I think is amazing. The Lord is not even going to let us, the folly of his people, ruin the covenants and the promises that he makes for those who he possesses. He has this in his hand. And there's nothing that we're, he's not even going to let us make the foolish decision of getting us pulled out of his hands or falling out of his hands. I mean, we see that, right? As parents, well, those of you have parents, you have children, I mean, yes, our children, they will do boneheaded things. They will do things that will upset us. They will do things that will even make us for a quick moment desire to end their lives. Remember I said quick moment. If you're thinking on it for more than, what, a minute, then give me a call. (laughs) But the reality is, is they're my kids. I'm going to love them. I'm going to help them. I'm going to hold on to them. Do we think that God, the most amazing, loving, good father, would do any less? He restores 
when the fires are done, he's going to rebuild. Point number one, you know what he says he's going to do when he restores? He's going to purify the lips and the speech of the people. Now, this is beautiful. This is a huge piece right here. He's going to purify the speech, not necessarily the lips in, in the sense like, you know, hey, you know, after the fire has probably got chapped lips, he's going to give us a balm to put on the lips. No. He's going to purify the lips or the speech of the people. Purify the language of a people who, spill, who speak ill of each other and speak ill of the Lord in rebellion. But this, as much as many of us might want to, to hold on to this, this is actually not talking or denoting harsh language or cussing or even telling lies or deception. People would be like, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome, man, that God snaps his finger and I don't cuss anymore. You know, that would be bleep, bleep awesome. <laughs> it's not, it's, he's not talking about cleaning up our language. He's not talking about uh, directly talking about cleaning up our language. It's not directly dealing with foolish talk or even coarse joking or salt and fresh water flowing out of the same spout, if you know the verse I'm talking about in James. This is not a point to sanctify. This is a point to save. He will change the lips of the people so that they can be saved. Some of you may be saying, well, Shane, how so? He will change the speech of the people. And if you have the ESV version, I think the ESV version makes it super clear here. He will transform, change the lips, purify the lips and speech of the people so that they all will call upon the name of the Lord. Huge. Gigantic. He will purify the lips and the speech of the people so that they will call upon the name of the Lord. This is a picture of salvation for all of us. Bailey and Barker in their commentary, they write this. Calling on the name of the Lord means reaching out in faith for his all-sufficient grace. Family, they got it right. And and, it hap- and what happens when we call upon the name of the Lord? As we've seen in the scriptures, something significant comes alive from this. Remember, family, if you've been here at Central Baptist Church, and I'm looking at all of you, and the faces are all familiar, so I know many of you have been here since I have started, but pretty much every single Sunday, I say these very words and declare it at the end of pretty much every sermon that I have preached here, I'm pretty sure every sermon, but I just, I'm saying pretty much just in case I didn't. Pretty much every sermon that I've preached since I've been here. What happens to all of us who call upon the name of the Lord? Acts chapter 2, verse 21. Acts chapter 2, verse 21. But everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow. This is the restoration he's talking about. With the restoration, he's coming. He's going to purify the lips of the people so that they will call upon the name of the Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Joel chapter 2, verse 32. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some on Mount Zion in Jerusalem will escape, just as the Lord has said. These will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. See, family, restoration is a promise by God. And in that restoration, God promises that he's going to bring us salvation. Salvation was coming for the people. The Lord will do this. The Lord is going to purge them. The Lord is going to purify them. He will purify our lips. He will purify our speech. And instead of rebelling, and instead of using our speech in our mouths to reject God, to blaspheme God, to worship idols, we will call upon the name of the Lord and we will be saved. What an amazing picture we see here. One of the worst graphic judgments we have heard over these past couple of months. And now we're hearing this transition to restoration. And the first thing he says, he's going to purify us, change us, so that we will call upon him. What else is he going to do? He says that we're no longer going to be ashamed 
I mean, just think about that, right? When reality hits, judgment came, we're standing there, and all we see is ashes, and we're thinking about, oh, yeah, now I know why God did this. I am ashamed. And we walk with our head. God is saying that we're no longer going to be ashamed. Dr. John McKay, he writes, in the day of the Lord, those whom he recognizes as truly his people will no longer have to answer for their rebellious acts. What does that mean? Family, it means that God is promising that he's going to forgive us. He's going to forgive us and he's going to purge us from all guilt. The stain of guilt will no longer be upon us, family. The Lord declares that he will remove the proud. He's going to remove the arrogance. He's going to remove the haughtiness. There will be no more of it on his holy mountain, and we will no longer be ashamed. This is the beautiful result of his restoration. Romans chapter 9, verse 33. Romans 9, 33. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame there's no reason to be ashamed Christian if you are a Christian today you don't have to be ashamed there's no reason for us to be ashamed there's no longer need to be ashamed no longer are we needing to cover our shame with fig leaves that we've sewn together we don't have to supernaturally put some things to kind of shield ourselves or veil ourselves from the guilt and the shame that we feel. Nor more do we need to lie to ourselves and, and superficially make us uh, feel better. We don't have to lie ourselves when we look at the mirror, you know, and just say, hey, we're in perfect shape when we're not. No longer are we plagued by guilt because of the work of the Lord. No way are we to stand ashamed. All that you have done is forgiven. All that you have done, the stain has been removed. The Lord will lift up our heads. The hand of God will bring freedom and cleansing. We are justified, just as if I'd never sinned. We are covered by the blood of Jesus, and the covering will make us white as snow. I think about this. I mean, I'm not trying to get us to think of, of Jesus as like a, a maid or anything like that, but I guarantee you that nobody in this world can clean better than God. This is why I say all the time, we got to remember that passage of Scripture in Acts. If you're walking around, Christian, today, if you're walking around and going, oh, you know, I'm just not a good person. I've done so many things wrong. You know, yes, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, but I've just done so many things wrong. My response is this. Do not call unclean what God has made clean. Don't do it. Don't ever do it. Man, I'm telling you, this is something, do, we, do we, realize, we realize what we're saying about the blood of Christ? That the blood of Christ is not enough to make us perfect? We are covered by the blood of Christ. That covering will make us whiter than snow. And he will make those. <laughs> he will make those. Number three, he's going to sanctify us. The Lord will make those who are his humble and meek. Some of your translations will say poor or lowly. And this is an important piece right here. What? You mean God is going to intentionally make us poor? God is going to intentionally make us humble? God is going to intentionally do this? And that's a good thing? Well, see, in our society, we don't see this as a good thing, right? In our society, wealth, success, all that stuff, those are the, the core values. But here we have a core value of, of humility, of meekness, of being lowly, of being poor. This is why the proverb says, give me not riches. This is, I keep saying like this, this is, this is what you don't hear in prayers today, Right? <laughs> This is not the prayer of our modern generation. We, we don't listen to prayers of, of people saying, God, give me not riches. I mean, you imagine standing there holding hands in a prayer group and the person that's next to you and he's just like, God, give us not riches. Man, people be like taking their hand away. What are you talking about, give us not riches? People probably get offended by you, you praying to God to not give us riches. It's, it's, just, it's, it's just opposed to our society. Here's, here's the thing. He says, because if you give me wealth, then I may not need you. 
Now, come on, family. If wealth is going to put us and make us put in a situation where we don't need God and we don't trust God anymore, that's not a good thing. And that's the beauty of what we see here. He says that he will make us humble, he will make us weak, lowly, and because of the affliction and because of the oppression and everything that they've gone through, he will make those who will trust in the name of the Lord. Restoration is going to come. He's going to purify our lips. We're going to call upon the name of the Lord. And he is going to cleanse us from all guilt that we can stand unashamed. Not only that, but we can stand humble and meek, lowly, poor, whatever your translation says. And that's fine because in that state, in that position, we are going to be people who are going to trust in the name of the Lord. Trust in the Lord always. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord. And that's the one thing, family, that I'm seeing that in our society today that we're, we're definitely losing. I'm, 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 talking, I'm talking to my, my, you know, do I dare say my sister? Well, you don't know which one. I got a couple, so it's one of them. But I'm exposing one of my sisters. I'm talking to them, and I'm going to make them look bad now. Anyway, one of them looked bad. Anyway, it's not they're going to look bad. But here's the thing. We're having this, we're having this thing about the, you know, the, the, the same argument that people are having because of the vaccine, right? So, so if you would, pray for one of my sisters because one of my sisters has tested positive for COVID. So we're, we're praying for her and her family. We're talking. So we're having the same vaccination fight right now that everyone has, right? We're talking about the vaccine. And, and for those of you that have talked to me recently, I'm just kind of like, you know, whatever, right? I'm just, I'm in that whatever stage right now. So we're talking about all of this stuff and, and we're, we're arguing and we're talking about doctors and what my doctor is telling me, what doctor, what doctor is telling her, the doctor that she's listening to on the internet, the doctor she's reading about in a book and, you know, what was on Fox News, what was on CNN, all the doctors. It just doesn't seem like to you like the doctors can't agree on anything, you know? And it's just, and, and, and we're following science, which explains a lot, right? So anyway, doctors can't agree. Hospitals can't agree. Politicians can't agree. We just can't have an agreement. And all these people are saying, even, even people that are close to us, our friends can't even agree, right? You look at all our friends on Facebook, they can't agree. And you know what the, the thing was? It's just like, well, she, she was just like, well, you know, you're following your doctor. And I'm just like, yes, I'm just following my doctor. Well, what if your doctor is wrong? And I just said, you know what? My doctor could be wrong. But you know what? With this insanity and the chaos that's going on with this. I can't make sense of anything. So I'm going to tell you right now, I'll tell you right now, right now, what is true and what I stand on. My doctor could be wrong, but I'm going to tell you right now, I am not going to die unless God says it's okay. I don't care what the doctors and all these things, whatever they're saying. The bottom line is this. You will not have any power over me unless it's been given to you from above. So if my doctor makes a mistake, you know what? My God is bigger than any virus. My God is bigger than anything. But here's the thing. Have we lost that? I just don't feel like there's enough of that being said. The bottom line telling, hey, Christian, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yes, I do. Do you believe that Jesus is alive and well, sitting right hand next to the Father? Yes, I do. Does he have power over hell, death, and the grave? Yes, he does. Did God give him authority over heaven and earth? Yes, he did. Then why are we afraid? It just goes to show how little faith we have, doesn't it? Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, that was mean of Jesus to say that. <laughs> that was true of Jesus to say that. Where's our faith? I'm just, you know, hey, Shane, you don't understand. If this person becomes president, man, this world is going to go upside down. No, this world is not going to go upside down unless it has been first ordained by God above. I don't care who's in charge. I don't care who in this world has all the power. Bottom line is I know for a fact that Christ has authority over this world. And his hand is mighty. You see that? We don't have to be afraid. 
will not be put to shame. We don't have to be afraid. We can trust in the Lord. Trust in him. And the other thing, too, he says, is that we're not going to do any wrong. He's talking about the new creation of the restoration of the people. They, like God, will do no wrong. What is that he's talking about here? He's talking about us being made in the likeness of Christ. So not only is he going to restore us, purify our lips so we call upon the name of the Lord, or is he's going to get rid and strip our guilt so that we don't have to be ashamed. He's going to put us and, make, and put us in a position where we will always trust in the Lord and have faith in him and trust in him. And not only that, family he's going to make us more like christ wow so that we would do no wrong they will not cheat and deceive each other they will live in harmony and they will not be afraid i kind of jumped the gun on that a little bit isaiah 41 10 isaiah 41 10 don't be afraid for i am with you don't be discouraged for i am your god I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious hand. Don't be afraid. Man, is there, this is like almost, if you think about it, like a culture of fear right now. So much fear. Now, I'm not saying that we go out there and be cavalier, not use our heads, you know. Hey, I can cross the street without looking both ways because I don't have to be afraid. I'm not saying that, family. <laughs> I'm not saying that, family. But what I'm saying is we don't have to be afraid because the Lord has restored us. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. If we're afraid, it's because we fear punishment. This is the reason why, as Christians, we don't have to be afraid, because there is no punishment. Yeah, there's discipline. God is going to discipline, but God disciplines those whom he loves. But as Christians, we don't have to fear punishment. I'm not fearing any punishment. And so I don't have to fear. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Romans 8, 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. He's my dad. He's not just my heavenly father. He's my daddy. And when I'm afraid, we go to dad, don't we? So, so I say the difference when it comes to like, you know, moms and dads, you, you see the different, you know, the complementary roles that men and women have, you know. And I know this complementary, this thing is, you know, a hotly debated thing. But even as a kid, you, you see the different roles, you know. So, like, if you're on the jungle gym, you know, in the playground and you're doing the monkey bars and you slip and you fall and you skin your knee and you're in a lot of pain and you start to run to your parents and you see mom and you see dad. Who do the kids normally go to? Mom. And mom's over there, you know, because mom's the one that's going to be like, oh, baby, it's so sorry. It's going to be okay. Dad's the one that's going to tell you, rub some dirt on it and get back on the monkey bar, right? <laughs> so if you, if you want to be consoled, right, you go to mom and mom's, oh, yeah, it's like. But if you're on the monkey bar and this big, gigantic gorilla or bully, let's just say bully. I didn't mean gorilla, like a, a guy, a human being. And he's coming and he says that he's threatening you and he's going to beat you up. You get off the monkey bar and you run to your parents. Who do you run to? You run to dad. Complimentary roles. It's just there. And this is the thing we've got to understand when it comes to, we don't have to fear. Because I have a heavenly father. I have my daddy. That when Goliath comes, there is somebody I can run to and know that he will take care of it. We don't have to be afraid because our heavenly father is with us. Luke chapter 12, verse 7. Luke chapter 12, verse 7. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. And the last one, Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? 
The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? We don't have to fear. We don't have to fear anymore, family. We do what we can. We do our best. But in the end, I am in the hand of God. We are in God's hands. And we rest in that. Do you believe it? Let's believe it today. This is the salvation of our Lord for those whom he says he will restore. What an amazing picture of salvation in the decree of judgment. Pretty hard, vivid declaration of judgment from the beginning of the book of Zephaniah. But right here is a beautiful picture of the salvation of the Lord. God will judge terribly, but he will also save gloriously. You can be saved. There will be the giving of a new heart. We will be born again. We're going to have a born again kind of change that happens in our new hearts. Because we, and because of this, we will have faith and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And because we do, we will call upon the name of the Lord. And the Bible says that if you do that, you will be saved. And the forgiveness that we get will make us whiter than snow. He said that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Christ will cause us to be able to stand unashamed before the Lord. How much so? So much so. So much so that even after David did what he did to Bathsheba, when he repented and he humbly asked for forgiveness, David knows, we see it in scripture, that he received restoration from the Lord. And he received restoration from the Lord. So much so that David would then even refer to himself as righteous and blameless. Did you guys see that? He doesn't know that David will refer to himself as righteous and blameless. Even after all that he did, he considers himself righteous and blameless. Why? Because if the Lord forgives you and the Lord cleanses you, you are cleaner than you think you could ever be. You are cleaner than you could ever be. Do not ever, ever call unclean what the Lord makes clean. And if God says you're righteous, then you know what? You are righteous. Though we receive affliction, we receive oppression from the world we live, it will all make us meek, it will make us humble, so that we do truly do trust in the Lord in all things. Facing trials of many kinds so that we can develop patience. Why does God want us to develop patience? Because if patience finishes its work, we will be mature, complete, and not lacking in anything. And he will make us more and more like him. He will purge us from all wickedness. He will make us more and more like Christ. He will cause us to walk blameless before the Lord. And so we don't have to be afraid. In the salvation of the Lord, family, we don't have to be afraid. Don't ever be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. So today, when we leave here today, and today and every day, you walk with your head held high. Now, you do something foolish and you do something sinful, and the Lord smacks you up inside the head, and you know, yeah, you get it. Yeah, you, you, we get disciplined. We sure do. We do. But you know what the amazing thing is? Is that sometimes, you know, my, my kids will do something, and discipline happens. They do the timeout, you know, or, or the, the normal hang them upside down and shake them till their eyeballs pop out, and then we put it back in, and then they go, we don't actually do that. But, you know, you do the discipline thing. Yeah, so, some of you guys were like, oh, you do that too? <laughs> you know what's amazing is it's done. It's done. We pray. I have my kids, they ask the Lord for forgiveness. The, you know, they, 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 they remind us and they pray the gospel. They ask for forgiveness. I ask them, does the Lord forgive you? They say, yes. We say, you know, then, then I forgive you too. This whole horrible, awful thing had just happened. But do you know, instantaneously, right after that, I could be sitting out there watching TV and she'll just come running, sit on my lap, happy, smiling, or he. Do you know why? Because even though I had to discipline my child, my child knows that I'm still their daddy. Yeah, the Lord has to discipline us. And family, no discipline feels good at the time. And we don't, 
We're not, as Christians, to sulk and to, you know, oh, well, I'm not talking to him for a long time. He's still our daddy. And even you might think, oh, well, he had to discipline me so he doesn't like me right now. It's not true. He loves us. Well, well, maybe he just doesn't love me a lot. Oh, no, he loves you a lot. He loved you enough that he would send his only begotten son. He would sacrifice his son for us. And here's the thing, family. Point number two. One of the most comforting things, one of the most comforting things about what we see here, and it may be difficult for some of us to hear, it may be hard for us to process later, but what we have to see when we recognize with all of this, all of these things, when it comes to restoration, is all done by the hand of God. We had nothing to do with it. We've got to see that. We've got to make this very, very clear in our minds. Done. He does not say in these passages that he's making it possible for you to be restored. He's restoring us. He's not hoping that we take him up on his offer today. He's saying that he will save us. Jesus came into this world to seek and make savable that which was lost. No, I didn't quote that right, did I? He came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. And I'm going to tell you right now, my Lord does not fail. It doesn't say that he came to make us savable. There's nothing in scripture, we got to get this. There's nothing in scripture that talks about, uh, about God reaching out his hand, waiting and hoping for us to reach out and grab a hold of his hand. Do you know why that's not apparent in scripture? Because dead people can't reach out their hand. We got to get this stuff out of our heads. Dead people don't reach up their hands to grab a hold of his hands. We are dead in our sins. Dead people can't reach out. You realize that he's got to breathe life into us before we can have faith in Christ. Why? Because dead people don't have faith in Christ. Dead people can't have faith. He had to give us life. Christ will give us life. He will cause us to be born again so that we can see the kingdom of God and have faith. Regeneration comes before faith. We don't have life because we, because we have faith. It's because, because we have life. We have faith. Let me say that again. I messed that up. We don't have life because we have faith. Because we have life, we have faith. It's coming from the hand of God. Why is this an issue? You know why this is an issue? Because, again, here in our culture today, we got this idea that there is this desire for Christians to be pleasing to the Lord so that we can receive a blessing from him. Let's not, come on, say I'm lying. <laughs> we, that's, that's our goal in life. Hey, do this, God will be pleased with you, and if he's happy with you, he will bless you. This is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. And the thing that is amazing to me is how we think that that kind of behavior and that kind of mentality is sanctified you realize that that is one of the most sinful things that we could ever think and ever do? I got to work to be pleasing to God so that God will bless me. As a parent, if your kids, that's how your kids operated, would that make you happy? Yeah, probably not. We want to know what to do. Give me the keys and the secrets to be able to have this kind of behavior. And in the end, it's like, because if I can have this kind of behavior, then God will be happy with me and he will give me what I ask for. Come on. 
Some of you guys may have even prayed something like this last week. <laughs> How much what we'd have to do in, in, to be so that God is happy, and if God is happy, he will bless us and he will reward us. The, scripture, the scriptures teach us that Christians desire to be pleasing to the Lord, not to receive the reward, because becoming a Christian is the reward. We're not trying to be pleasing to God to receive everything, because if you're a Christian, you have everything. We don't seek to be pleasing so that we can be accepted by the Lord. We seek to be pleasing because we're already accepted by the Lord. We don't do good not to become a child of God because we already are a child of God is the reason why we do good. We don't do to get because we already have, and it's what Christ has given us first. Faith and repentance brings us the blessing of salvation, but faith and repentance, did you know in the scriptures say that it is a gift? from God again faith and repentance brings us salvation but did you know that faith and repentance is a gift from God we only have because he gave there's no reason for us to boast in restoration and salvation we feel like if we have a hand in it then somehow some way maybe we deserve heaven and, and, and in reality, come on, if you're really honest with yourself, it's like that's kind of what we want. That's our motivation. We want to deserve heaven. I want to do something to make sure that I deserve heaven. Did you know that one person actually even told me that they don't like the idea of this kind of preaching, Shane, because I don't like the idea of believing that I had nothing to do with my salvation. And family, that, that's common for a lot of people. They don't like the idea of thinking that they had nothing to do with their salvation. I want to be a contributor so I can feel good about me and the choice that I made. But that's foreign to Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. 2 Timothy 2, 25. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. That's what we pray. We pray that God will give us the gift of faith that God will give us life, and that God will grant us this gift of repentance. We think we're saved by God. Some of us will be like, okay, Shane, I'll give you that. You know, we need to be saved by God, and we have nothing to do with it. But we have to be sanctified, and we have to mature as a Christian, so we believe God does all the work to get us saved, but now it's on us and our efforts in order to become a good, mature Christian. Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? It's never supposed to end. The gospel is not the ABC of Christianity. The gospel is the A through Z of Christianity. God doesn't want to say, hey, you're my child. I saved you. Now go. Do a good job. Don't disappoint me. He wants to walk with us in every possible way. He wants to be there to help us, to shape us, to help us to grow. Oh, but Shane, Shane, we got to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. That's what the Bible says. Yeah, finish the passage. That's the thing about that passage. People throw that passage at me, and I always have to say this. Finish the passage. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who will work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But we want to do the works of God. And Jesus says what? I have one work. God has one work for us. Believe in the Lord Jesus. 
And it's God who does it. Salvation belongs to the Lord today. It is all in the hand of God. And salvation is here for us today. And I rest in that. That's, that's security for me. Knowing that I had nothing to do to get it. Knowing me and my life and the decisions I make. Thank God. Knowing me. <laughs> I, I'm so glad if I had nothing to do to get it. That means there's nothing I'm going to do to lose it. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's nothing I can do to lose it. Some of us today may think, man, but Shane, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand the horrible sin that I've done. You don't understand how great my sin is. No, no, no. You don't understand how big God's grace is. And where sin abounds, their grace abounds even more. Yeah, judgment is coming. But salvation is here for us today. And I have prayed for all of us today that God will grant us the gift of salvation. And the salvation is possible for us today because Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day all according to the scriptures. Family, that the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And my God is not a failure. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is accomplished it is finished he did it it's there and family the promises continue that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved and here it is again family all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved that's it right there right to where you're sitting it's not some routine it's not some ritual you don't have to, you know, I don't have to sprinkle dust on your head and, and rub oil on your face and, you know, and then mark your neck with all kinds of things. I mean, we don't have to do none of that stuff. You know what, you know what we do? We call upon the name of the Lord. And salvation is here. Family, this is reason to rejoice. And we do not rejoice because of what we get for doing what Jesus would do. It's like, you know, that's like for years I've always been, oh, there's Shane. He's going to go, he's going to do his what would Jesus do rant. Because Shane doesn't feel like what would Jesus do is very helpful. It's not. It's like you're so caught up with trying to live your life the way Jesus did so that you can be in a position where you'll be pleasing to him and receive blessings from him. No, we don't rejoice because we were successful in doing what Jesus did. We rejoice today not because of what we have done. It's not about what would Jesus do. I rejoice because of what Jesus did. It is accomplished. It is finished. It's done. And because of what he's done, I have life and life more abundant. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www dot cbcaurora dot com